0: 30 ring muscle-ups four-time. That was event two of the 2018 CrossFit Games. For the field of women, 28 out of the 40 that were left not cut were under the five-minute time cap, and for the males, 100% were under that five-minute cap. What this means is all the athletes were doing at least six reps every minute. In other words, 10 seconds per rep. That's dense work. In the sport of fitness, it's no longer good enough to complete high-level gymnastics. If you want to compete with the best, you have to be able to perform big sets under high fatigue. In other words, you need to build your gymnastics density capacity. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. Fitness Movement is brought to you by Zohar Fitness. Sewer Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver training content to coaches and athletes like you. The site has educational resources on everything from program design and exercise physiology to skill progressions and movement breakdowns. And in terms of programming, we have our online training program, The Protocol, and I also offer one-on-one remote coaching. It's all at one place, ZoharFitness.com. Today's episode also has a video version, so if you're someone who's just listening to this on an audio-only platform, realize that on YouTube, I'm going to occasionally start posting some podcasts that have also a video version. So if you're someone who really enjoys the video version, be sure to head over to YouTube and check that out. And welcome back to my rant on how to improve your gymnastics density capacity. That'll end today's show. we got four different parts. Part one is... Quantifying gymnastics in CrossFit. So I have five different factors that I've kind of broken gymnastic density down into. I want to go through those five. What are they? And then why are they important? So um, this is really about upgrading your language. And if we can upgrade your language, we'll upgrade your understanding of how to think about gymnastics density. And then in part two, I want to go over how to troubleshoot gymnastics density for an athlete. And that's really coming down to two different questions. How is it tested in the sport? And then how do you assess an athlete's ability for it? So the sport and the athlete, those are always the two things that we have to balance. Part three is then building gymnastics density. So not protocols just yet, more so. I want to take you through the model that we're using at Zor Fitness to be able to help develop an athlete's ability for gymnastics density. And that's a four-step process. I'll run down through that. And then we're going to apply that model onto sample training sessions. So i want to run through um, a bunch of different in fact, eight total training sessions that I've pulled from either my athletes or Gymnastics Density University, which is a new program that we recently launched in the new year. So let's get into part one, quantifying gymnastics in CrossFit. So these are those five factors that I talked about. I think this is going to be easily explained um, if I just use an example workout and then apply those to each of those five factors. So the example workout I want to use is Open 20.2, which should be fairly recent in people's memory. It was a 20-minute AMRAP four dumbbell thrusters, six toes to bar, 24 double unders. And let's just say this athlete to make the math easy did 20 rounds exactly of that workout. So 20 minute MRAP, six toes to bar is really what we're focusing on here because of the gymnastics density. They did 20 rounds. Okay, let's get into the five factors. The first factor is density. So density is just coming down to cycle rate. So maybe the number of reps that someone's doing per minute Maybe the number of seconds it takes them to do for each rep across uh, the workout as an average. So in this case, if we just use reps per minute, it's pretty simple. It was a 20-minute AMRAP They did 20 rounds. Each of those rounds were six toes-to-bar, so their cycle speed um, in terms of reps per minute was six. Quite simple. Uh, so that was density. Number two is chunking. So chumper, chunking is the number of reps that you're asked to do at a shot. So in other words, this could be like per round in this case, right? Where it was six reps per round. The reason I write it as at a shot versus saying per round is because if you have a chipper, you're not going through it multiple times. So it's just the number of thing, uh, reps of your, yeah, you're asked to do of a particular movement before you move on. So again, in this case, it would be six because you're asked to do six toes of bar per round three is volume. So it's just the total of number of reps that you're doing. In a workout like this, it's an AMRAP, so you don't know exactly how many you're going to get because if it was, you know, 20 rounds for time, you'd know you get exactly 120 reps, right? But since this person did exactly 20 rounds, that's exactly what it is. It's 20 rounds for six reps per round for 120 total reps as the volume that that athlete accumulated. And then for factors four and five, these are more qualitative in nature where it's not necessarily going to be a number that gets spit out. But it's something that's still very important in understanding your capacity for gymnastics density. Number four is interference. We just say this is high, moderate or low um, interference. So basically, this is saying like the same muscle group is being taxed throughout the workout or the same uh, patterns are being hit in the workout. Um, in this case, the interference is low. Like there's you're gripping in the toes to bar, you're gripping in the dumbbell thruster, you're gripping in the double arms. But none of those are super taxed. taxing, you get a lot of breaks. Um, So I'd say that's relatively low. Um, Yes, you're using quite a bit of the shoulder, more so tricep. So I'd say some um, relatively minor grip and tricep redundancy um, to create that interference effect. And then factor number five is fatigue. And obviously, all the other aspects could be generating fatigue, all the other factors. However, here I'm talking about systemic fatigue. right? So being at a high respiration rate or a high heart rate, for an extended period of time. And that's what's causing and driving a lot of the challenge in the workout to the gymnastics components. So again, here is just looking at, um, for this particular workout, I would say that fatigue is high. So your heart rate is going to climb fairly quickly at the beginning of the workout. And you have to hold that like right at your threshold that entire time, just kind of riding just under that red line for the entirety of that 20 minute time domain. It's a pretty long workout. So it feels like you're sort of like a dog chasing your tail the whole time. That was, that was how a lot of people felt in 20.2. So those are the five factors, density, chunking, volume, interference, and fatigue. So now that we've standardized some of the language around gymnastics density, I want to go through five truths. And these are things that we'll have a better understanding of now because we've kind of, you know, had this discussion about the language already, but these are five truths about gymnastics performance as relates to CrossFit. Um, And these things I don't think are very disputable. They're just kind of the nature of what's going on. And that's kind of what I meant to write them as. And it's sort of, again, another foundation for our conversation today. Truth. Number one, density is relative to volume. So this could also be said where pace is relative to duration. Those are sort of the same thing, right? Um, And this is something that should be very intuitive to most athletes, even if they didn't understand what I was just saying, like, If you're rowing a, you know, time trial on the rower, uh, you have a 250 versus a 1K versus a 2K, 5K versus 10K versus marathon, right? All of those are going to have a unique pace or work rate so that you can maximize your power output across that time domain. That's all I'm saying here, right? It could be said pace relative duration. It could be said pace relative to volume, right? 1K row versus 10K row, or it could just be density relative to volume right? It's all sort of the same. Fact number two, or truth number two, density is pattern specific. So for each pattern, but also each athlete, they're going to have unique pace in terms of the number of reps that they can hold per minute, aka density, that they can actually hold in each pattern. So an athlete's ring muscle up versus chest to bar versus toes to bar versus bar muscle up ability for density are all going to be different. In other words, they all have different maximal sustainable densities. Truth number three, chunking and volume determine your break strategy. So break strategy is just simply how you attack a chunk of work. So if a workout is three rounds for time of a 30 calorie row and 30 toes to bar, the chunk again is 30. How are you going to break that? Your break strategy might be just do one set, right? Do the 30, move on. It's unbroken, right? Or it could be that you do 18, 12, It could be that you do 10, 10, 10, or 11, 10, 9, right? That is your break strategy. That's how you're thinking about that. So you're chunking in the volume of the workout is what's going to determine that break strategy. So if you have really big chunks of work, you're probably going to have to break that up more. And if you have a lot of volume, you're probably going to have to break that up more. Truth number four is the higher the interference, the lower the density. I think this one's probably most easily explained if I just use a, an example here. So three rounds per time, let's say it's 400 meter run and 20 strict handstand pushups. Those are um, non-interfering movements. They're kind of complementary movement patterns, if you will, where um, during the run you're using mainly legs during the strict handstand pushups, you're using mainly arms. So those are relatively low interfering. You're going to be able to go faster as a result versus if we take that run and we turn it into a 400 meter ski, All of a sudden, now it's an upper body movement that you're gonna be using a lot of tricep in the skiing. Another upper body movement with the strict handstand pushups, again, where the triceps are gonna get really fatigued. So all of a sudden, now the density of those handstand pushups that you're gonna be able to maintain is gonna go down as a result. So again, the higher the interference, the lower the density. And then our last truth is the more fatigue, the more technical breakdown. So this should be pretty intuitive, like most of these have been. We just need to understand that as you get tired, you're gonna have more compensatory movement patterns. So, in other words, you're gonna to have to change the way that you do a movement as muscle groups fatigue and as you're just having more high systemic fatigue, right? So, if you have diaphragmatic fatigue, if you have local fatigue in your lats, for example, when you're trying to do chest to bar, that movement's going to start to break down where your kip can't be as refined, your pulling mechanics can't be as smooth, right? And as a result, your efficiency is gonna kind of drop and that's gonna make the movement harder while you're also getting more and more tired while doing it, which is the perfect recipe for you getting more sloppy towards the end of workouts and there being a bigger performance gap between the people who are sort of intermediate advanced to the elite world-class athletes, um, which is the goal in a lot of these tests. So let's run back through these five truths one more time. One, density is relative to volume. Two, density is pattern-specific. Three, chunking and volume determine your break strategy. Four, the higher the interference, the lower the density, and five, the more fatigue, the more technical breakdown. All right, let's get into part two. So this is troubleshooting gymnastic density. So in other words, if I have an athlete, they come to me, they're like, "Hey, coach, I did really poorly in this workout relative to what I thought I could hold. Um, you know, this is what happened. You know, these that particular gymnastics movement broke down. Um, you know, what do we think we can do to improve it? Or they're just not performing where they could in a particular gymnastics movement." Um, How do you go about improving that? What's your testing process look like? Um, That whole process, right? That's what we're talking about here. Um, Again, there's two questions that I like to think about and hold in my mind during a conversation like this with an athlete. Um, How is the movement tested in the sport or whatever quality is tested in the sport? And then how do you assess that particular athlete's ability to do that movement or that quality? So let's talk about how is it tested in the sport? First things first, what is the functional volume? That's one thing that you have to answer. Um, I think functional volume has been getting talked about a lot, which I think is a good thing. However, there's also some misinformation that comes along with that kind of naturally. One of the things I think is being missed in the conversation a lot of the times is that functional volume is dependent on the gender of the athlete, the age group of the athlete, the competition that they are preparing for. So functional volume for the open versus quarterfinals versus games are all different um, and the ability level of the athlete, right? So again, if we have a 20 minute AMRAP and we have an athlete who is a games level athlete versus a intermediate level athlete, they might do twice the volume of the, that other athlete, right? It really just kind of comes down to what is the level of that athlete as well when we're talking about functional volume. So the other thing is that functional volume is looking at the past, right? It's a sort of a post-game analysis. We're looking what has happened in the past. So we can have a pretty good idea of being able to predict the future and have clues as to what might happen. However, no one really knows the functional volume of, um, you know, a new competition that com- comes out that has never been done before, right? You can certainly go back and maybe look at other things in the past and, you know, see what programming themes have come up, etc. but you don't really know for a hundred percent. So basically you just have to get a really good rough estimate based on what other aspects of the sport you can tell, um, And prepare the athlete for that. So that's functional volume. Um, Two would be then like, again, thinking about the the ability level of other athletes that are in a similar sort of bucket as the athlete that you're talking about and having this discussion with. So if I'm talking to an open level athlete versus a quarterfinals versus a games level athlete, again, what are other athletes in that same demographic able to hold in a particular version of a workout and particular movement, right? So again, if I know, for example, that a lot of the male Games level athletes in 2018 did 30 ring muscles for time in you know, sub two or many of them did sub three minutes on that test. And then I have a pretty good idea that, hey, if you want to qualify for the games, you should probably be able to do 30 ring muscles for time in sub three minutes on long straps with a little run afterwards. Right, Things like that where you can start to compare and get an idea of what you need. Um, another thing that I would think about is what movement pairings are really going to be commonly tested, right? And that allows you to start to troubleshoot. Do you have specific combos that this is something that is is limiting you? For example, if you do have muscle-ups, what are muscle-ups most commonly paired with, right? If it's like an open setting, it could be muscle-ups and double-unders, muscle-ups and snatches, muscle-ups and wall balls, right? Those things are all super commonly paired together. Um, Or if you have chest bars, thrusters, right? Thrusters are paired all the time with those. So that's one of the things that you really need to look at. So then we're going to take the knowledge that we had in that first part and we're going to apply it to the individual athlete. So looking at the athlete's ability for gymnastics density. For this, really, I I want to start very basic. Like, let's look at the athlete's frame. Let's look at their body weight and body fat. So, you know, if they're a 230-pound male, you're going to have a hard time doing a lot of the hanging gymnastics and accumulating the amount of volume that you need to be able to compete at a high level. Um, If you are a female and you have a body fat percentage of 26, right, that's again, it's above the range that's necessary to be healthy and to be able to recover well and all the other things that are associated with a, a necessary amount of body fat. And above that, it's just added weight, right? It's, there's no contractile potential in that tissue. And as a result, yeah, it, it's just dead weight. Um, there's a reason why athletes are lean at the best of um, the CrossFit Games, right? It's, it's not just that they're working out a lot because strongmen, open water swimmers, and you know some of those type of sports... They train a ton and yet they are not lean, right? And it's, it's just demands of the sport as well. So we need to think about body weight and body fat percentage, we need to think about their individual anthropometrics. So this is something that actually came up in the conversation that I had with Chris Hardenberg in episode 43, where we talked about troubleshooting the squat and how like things like leg length and femur length, torso length, all these things like the individual body parts and segments of the body, how are those impacting the movement, right? So if practically Again, if we use the example chest bars, we have an athlete. They have really long limbs, like their wingspan is hot greater than their height. For example, it's going to make chest bars more difficult. It's going to make strict handstand pushups more difficult. It's just going to make a lot of those um, hanging gymnastics more difficult. So these are the things we can begin to look at. Right? It's not an excuse for the athlete, however, it's something that is reality that we need to check and to make sure we understand. The next thing I would go to is that athlete's backgrounds, maybe their athletic history. Right. What have you been doing prior to us working together to understand what what kind of clues can that lead me into what is uh, impacting your performance? So, for example, I have an athlete and they were a swimmer. Chances are they have a pretty good pool, like they have decent lat strength. Um, they can coordinate like proximal distal pooling mechanics, right, and be able to tie in their core as they do that. And they're probably a little bit more, um, you know, have an enduring pull as well. Versus if we have an athlete and maybe they're a field sport athlete and they're more on the power end of the spectrum, um, you know, they might not have the muscle mass that's necessary for the upper body to be able to do the exercises or they maybe they just don't have the the coordination um, and the shoulder girdle strength and all the other qualities that are necessary to be able to produce dense work down the road. So maybe we just need to take a step back and look at what's your strict strength, you know, some other factors like that. Next, I would just ask the athlete, like I'm saying it's an athlete self-assessment, but practically it's just like ask the athlete, like, Hey, what do you think is like slowing you down in these types of workouts? You know, for example, Hey, in this Metcon, I did not do as well as I wanted to. Um, the chest bars really limited me. Um, I think it was because like, after I got off the thrusters, like my heart rate was just so high that I felt like I couldn't recover. And normally if I'm pretty fresh, I feel like I can bang out sets of like 12 to 15 pretty consistently on chest bar, but I was reduced to like, you know, triples and fives for the most part, just because I was so tired, things like that can give you a lot of clues into what's going on with an athlete's physiology and also their headspace during a workout like that. And the last thing I would do is go to the leaderboards, right? Just get some data collection off those leaderboards to go to see objectively, because the athlete's opinion is subjective, objectively, where are they sitting in specific workouts relative to the field? Um, the open's great because there's a huge leaderboard. You can go on there and say like, okay, in all the chest of our workouts that you've done over the last five years what are some of the themes and the ones that you finished the best in versus finished the worst in? Right? What was kind of going on with that person during that time? Um, what qualities were challenged the most? Oh, look, um, every time that is paired with a high power movement, yeah, you tend not to do as well because you're fatigued going into those chest bars. Okay, so maybe we need to run some progressions, being able to maintain our skill under fatigue for chest bars and be able to handle bigger chunks under fatigue, things like that. Right. That's really how I would go about uh, sort of troubleshooting an athlete's ability for specific quality of gymnastics density. So we've just had a conversation with an athlete figuring out what specific thing potentially could be limiting their performance, whether it's a movement, whether it's a quality of their gymnastics performance. Now, how do we actually go about improving that? Let's talk about part three, building gymnastics density. At ZorFitness, we've created a model of how to improve someone's gymnastics density or just developing gymnastics as a whole. Um, It's a four-step model. Let's go over them quickly, and then I'll go through a more detailed breakdown. Step number one is building strict strength and doing that in combination with also developing an athlete's muscular endurance. Step number two is a volume build and pattern refinement. Those two are being coupled together. Step number three is either building upon interference density, chunking, or making movements more fatigue resistant. And then number four is uh, building the actual capacity for the sport. So it's sport work. Let's run back through these in a little bit more detail. So first thing we need to understand is this model is not a linear model. So in other words, when you move from step one to step two, it does not mean that you stop doing uh, step one. So for example, if you're building strict strength, it doesn't mean that you need to, as you prep for competition, do no strict strength work. Again, this is athlete dependent, right? But you probably want to keep touches on all the other uh, steps as you move through this, but you want one step to be the focal point of that, right? So in step one, we're focused on developing strict strength, but that also means that we could probably still continue to do touches of interval work or met cons that have kipping work in it, for example. So basically when you get to step four, you're not going to completely neglect step one or step two. Step number one, again, this is strict strength, muscular endurance work. Um, Some people get confused as to why I would pair those two together. I actually really like that spectrum approach is what uh, we call it. It's basically sort of an ends to middle take on it. That works really well because as you're developing an athlete's ability to produce high levels of force and high contractile strength, That doesn't translate super well into just doing Metcons where you're under a lot of fatigue and respiratory distress, unless you've also paired that with um, some muscular endurance work, right? And I think people can get hung up on that, but honestly, it's pretty simple and it works really well. So for example, let's say there's a session and the athlete does a, it's five by five weighted strict pull up, for example. Um, After that session or towards the end of that session, we might just have them do some um, low threshold um, ski intervals, right. Where you're still accumulating some work, right. It's still working that, uh, upper body. It's getting the tricep, it's hitting the lat, right. Where you're getting a lot of continual contractions, lower tension contractions, where we can, again, start to still maintain some of the qualities that we need to be successful at the sport. Right. Again, it's not saying that we're never doing metcons concert the week. It's not saying we're not, you know, neglecting other aspects, but during that time we're focused on driving the strict strength and, um, probably having that el- athlete get a little bit more healthy as well. This is something that'll give a lot during deloads, during off season um, or like post off season, like go, as they're building back into training again, just to you know minimize joint wear and tear, uh, make sure that the athlete's staying resilient, making sure that they maintain again, a quality and a base that's necessary for them to build um, moving forward. So that's why we start with strict strength and muscular endurance. Next would be the uh, volume build and pattern refinement. Again, I think a lot of people think that these things are kind of odd to pair together, um, to pair like skill work with building volume, but I think those two pair perfectly together. Reason being, while you're building volume, you're not also trying to build density. You're not also trying to build big chunking um, or adding a ton of interference into it. Right. The goal is to build the volume and to do that in a way that the athlete can tolerate it. And they will tolerate volume building best when they do it with less fatigue, and they do it with a high intention and the best quality reps that they can. So the goal here is really to build quality movement. Um, you know, say we have an athlete and they can hit three bar muscle-ups as their their rep max. It's like, great, can you hit doubles consistently? Okay, let's just build on doing that. Maybe every 90 seconds you hit uh, two bar muscle-ups or every two minutes you hit two bar muscle-ups and you start and it's four sets and then you build it to six eight, 10, you just continue to build that. And the whole time it's like, hey, focus on the quality of these movements. Make sure that these are the cleanest you possibly can, like no chicken wing, no sloppy kipping, right? Making sure that everything is, you know, pretty, right? Making sure that things look good. And as a result, that's only gonna improve the athlete's ability to make that movement fatigue resistant and to minimize the joint wear and tear that they're getting as they build that volume. Because that can be definitely a stressful time, um, in terms of physiological, what's going on, make sure that they can handle that as best they possibly can. Um, I would say the goal here is to build that volume to probably slightly past what's functional for that athlete. So slightly past the functional volume. I already explained some of the complications with uh, measuring functional volume. I actually did a pro article on um, measuring functional volume, the functional volume data for the CrossFit Open. So if that's something that interests you, you can go to ZorFitness.com slash pro and check that out. You can get a free week and read for free. Yeah, something that I would definitely look into if you haven't thought about that more specifically yet. Um, so yeah, build slightly past what that functional volume is for that particular athlete. And then that's going to really allow that athlete to build some tissue tolerance where they can handle higher volumes in workouts and allows them to build, again, quality reps and a lower uh, fatigued environment and a with lower densities, lower chunkings, lower intensities as a whole. Um, Just the focus should be the focus, right? Allow the volume build and the skill work to slowly accumulate and have that athlete end where they need to uh, be ending. Step number three is to improve one of the four qualities of gymnastics density for a specific movement or for a category of movements. So it's either going to be interference or density or chunking or fatigue. So my advice would be like pick one, maybe two of those qualities to focus on. Don't try to improve all four at once because you're probably not going to do it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, basically pick one specific aspect of the interference, density, chunking or fatigue, and then figure out how to run a progression where you're getting progressively harder and harder you know, pieces to basically challenge that aspect of the movement. And then lastly, again, as I said, is just mix it into the sport. This is Metcons structured in a way that, you know, is very similar to the testing body of the sport and is executed at a high effort where the goal is to get the best possible time or score, right? The goal is for this to be performance oriented. Another thing that I want to touch on is the importance of balancing structure and variety. Actually did a full episode on this. It was number 33 of the fitness movement, but basically as you're running one of those progressions, right? What one of the four qualities that you're trying to improve there. Um, for athletes that are more novice or maybe intermediate, it's important that you give them a lot of structure, basically giving them sort of the exact same progression with a little bit more reps or a little bit more fatigue or some aspect of that, uh, progression tweaked, but it's very similar week over week where it allows them to get consistent exposures of that same movement so that they can learn that skill, right? It's very important so that they can actually refine that movement. Um, that's what you want to do for the best motor learning for that athlete. As we get for a more advanced athlete, this is where you can start to incorporate a lot more variety into their training, and that's going to help them to be able to pace workouts by feel. So um, basically, you might, instead of just giving them you know, a progression of chest bar, you might be able to switch all kinds of hanging gymnastics in there instead of just chest bar, but focusing on one of the qualities. So for example, um, we're going to be working on getting you a little bit tired and then doing a bigger set of um, a hanging gymnastics movement. Right, so it could be like, okay, we're going to get you on the assault bike and get your heart rate up and make sure that you're, you're a little bit fatigued, and then we're going to have you do a big set of chest bar, or we're going to have you doing rowing and facing burpees to get a little bit of fatigue driven in the system, and then we're going to have you do ring muscle ups, right? And you could run a, a sort of an a linear progression like that for an athlete, and I think that'd be very appropriate for a more advanced athlete who needs a little bit more variety. I'll also say for an elite athlete. So this is someone who's at the pinnacle of the sport, they're a world-class athlete. They're actually going to go back to needing more structure again, right? So this athlete, they've already, at this point, they've already developed all the skills that they need, and they've already kind of raised the ceiling on like basically every aspect of the, of their physical performance that's necessary for them to the highest degree possible. So if you want to drive anything up in terms of a quality higher, higher, you're going to be needing to be very targeted in how you go about that, right? Like random doses of things aren't going to get them better It's likely they've already done a lot of doses of everything because they've probably had quite a bit of training age already. Yeah. It takes some time to get good in CrossFit. Like you can't just rise up and be um, at a, a really high level very quickly. Like it's going to take years of development. So they've already had that development. So to push that up higher, you're going to need a more structured program again, even as an elite athlete. So, I think of it sort of as like a a bookends as you get closer to like more of a beginner and really high level um, above just like an average good competitor. Like if you're an elite athlete, both of those demographics are gonna need more structure in the programming um, to improve specific quality, that is. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the things I really thought about when I program. So for example, like Gymnastics Density for the Big Five is one of the programs that is the most popular on the site. And it's something that um, I try to incorporate some variety to keep things fresh and keep things entertaining, uh, for the athletes, but also make sure it's structured enough where we're seeing, you know, progressive improvement week over week. Um, so that's the 12 week program it focuses on the big five, um, which are muscle ups, handstand push ups, handstand walk, just to bar, toes to bar, and really driving up those five specifically and getting consistent exposures week over week of each of those uh, movement categories. Um, and that program's kind of written for like a quarterfinals level athlete, um, Which, I mean, I think that's honestly like perfect for building strength and just consistent technique and obviously density as well. Uh, And I would say for, again, for the higher level athlete, you're going to need that more consistent uh, exposures to a variety of movements so that you can start to refine and ultimately just learn, as I said before, to pace workouts by feel. Right. Because if you've never done a workout before, you might be able to strategize and get a pretty good idea. But ultimately, like you don't really know how it's going to feel until you get into it. And you have to know when I feel like this, this is how many reps I can bang out. Right. Like those sorts of sort of intangibles um, and be able, to, be able to kind of take advantage of sort of the CrossFit chaos, we might call it. You know, I had a lot of athletes who are either finishing gymnastics density for the big five or um, they were a higher level athlete and they were like, hey, I really like this program, but I want sort of a, a two-point, something a little bit more. Um, so this winner actually came out with Gymnastics Density University, which, as I said, it's sort of like a, a step above Gymnastics Density for the Big Five, um, but it doesn't need to be like a, you know, a sequel, for example. Um, I think those two are perfectly fine being standalone programs. However, um, really, in this program, I think a little bit more about trying to develop higher-order skills for a more advanced athlete. So gymnastics density for the big five was geared towards an athlete who could hit small sets of muscle ups, for example, whereas something like gymnastics density university is going to be geared towards athletes who have rep maxes of over 10 in the muscle ups and rep maxes of over 20 on things like chest to bar and toes to bar and handstand push ups. Um, so it's for a more advanced athlete. And as a result, we also expand beyond just the big five and we add in. Rope climbs, GHDs, um, some of those higher order skills, even wall walks since we've seen that recently. Um, And because those are movements that we're going to see beyond and well in quarterfinals, but beyond quarterfinals as well. Um, Yeah. So if you're someone who's interested and I came out with those recently, I'm also going to be giving a bunch of examples as we get into some of the training progressions here in a second from Gymnastics Density University. Yeah, you can simply Google either of them. I'll put them in the show notes as well. But if you Google gymnastics density for the big five or gymnastics density university, you should be able to find both of those. All right, the moment we've all been waiting for, let's get into some sample training sessions. So I'm going to give two examples for each of the four qualities. So, again, the four qualities that we could be trying to improve interference, density, chunking, and fatigue. So, I'm going to give two examples that could be improving or aiming to improve each of those four qualities. Interference. The first session that is an example, this comes from Gymnastics Density University. I straight up copy and pasted it out of the program. Each of these are going to have a, a warm up and a cool down, and some mobility work or flush work, for example, after this. Um, however, this is the bulk of uh, that day's work that is stressful. So, the workout you're going to ski 1K at an easy pace, immediately into a six minute AMRAP of one legless rope climb to 15 feet and a 25 foot handstand walk. Immediately, into a 1K ski at an easy pace. Immediately into a six minute AMRAP of three rope climbs, race regular rope climbs now, and six handstand push-ups to a three and a half or two inch deficit for males and females. Immediately into a 1K ski at an easy pace. So basically we got two six minute AMRAPs and in between and after each of those is a 1K ski at an easy pace. So obviously. Skiing is taxing the same muscle groups that you're going to see a need for a rope climb to be able to compress your core like that And for a handstand walker handstand push-up with the triceps So it's taxing those same muscle groups But it's an easy pace so it allows you to actually flush and clear some of that fatigue out of the local muscle As you're moving through that Um, And then the goal is to be able to produce some good high quality work in those relatively short AMRAPs in between So that's our first interference session And then our second sample session for interference is the name game. One of the workouts from that. Those of you aren't familiar, the name game is our Saturday sport programming. Um, So it's basically an open qualifier style workout that I give to everyone in the protocol, which is our online training program. But I also give it to a lot of my individual athletes and they end up doing these a lot on Saturdays. So this particular workout was called marry me. It was a 15 minute AMRAP of five strict handstand pushups, eight Pistols and a 13 and 13 toaster bar. So really, obviously, all of those are gymnastics movements. However, the pistols and the toaster bar, both of those are requiring a lot of hip flexion. Um, and yeah, pistols are kind of requiring the maintenance of that, you know, holding one foot off the floor and the toaster bar, obviously it's an active hip flexion where you're compressing your body that way. So really that's where the big chunk of that interference is coming into play. Okay, let's move on to our density sample sessions. Our first one comes from Gymnastics Density University. There's a warm-up. I'm going to skip that. The bulk of the work, um, it's a running clock, and you're going to be performing at zero, at four, and at eight minutes on that clock. So at zero minutes on the clock, four time, 15 kipping handstand push-ups to a six or four-inch deficit. At four minutes, four time, 20 strict handstand push-ups. At eight minutes, four time, 25 kipping handstand push-ups. Rest as needed, and then you're going to move into the first four-time piece. Four time, 60 GHD sit-ups on the minute, including 000, you're going to be doing a 25-foot handstand walk. So at the very start, at 100, 200, each of those minutes, you're doing a 25-foot handstand walk. He'll rest exactly four minutes and then it flips. So four time, it's a 150-foot handstand walk. And on the minute, including zero, zero, 0 you're going to be doing 8 GHD sit-ups. Rest as needed. And then you're skiing 3K at a nasal cap. So a nasal cap just means that you have to breathe through your nose. If you go any faster than that you can't breathe through your nose, that means that's where you're, you're stopping yourself, right? So you're staying under that threshold to make sure that you can breathe through your nose the entire time. And then our second density session is from my one-on-one client, Eric. It's two sets, so just remember that all this work is being completed twice. It's three rounds for time, six bar muscle-ups, nine calorie a row. Rest three minutes. Three rounds for time. Two rope climbs to 15 feet, 15 GHDs. Rest three minutes. And then obviously it's two sets. You're going to complete that again. The interesting thing about these types of workouts is that you really have to be careful about how you give the volume because, again, it's three rounds, but it's three sets sorry, two sets of that. So we have to multiply everything that you give by six in this case. If it was three sets, you have to multiply it by nine, right? So it gets exponentially more volume depending how you write that with those multiple sets and the rounds for time. So you just need to be careful if you program that type of work. But in this case, it was appropriate for that athlete and the volume that he was at at that particular time. Let's move on to chunking. So this is a session from Rachel, who's one of my clients. It was four sets, 16 heavy wall balls, immediately into four dot, four dot, four dot, four toes to bar. So basically it was 16 heavy wall balls, 16 toes to bar, but I want her to break the toes to bar four, 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 right? So that's, I'm, I'm basically prescribing how she's going to go about her break strategy here. She's going to rest two to three minutes, and then she's going to repeat that for four total sets. And then our second chunking sample is actually one that I did recently in my own program. So I threw this one in, it was four sets of a 400 meter Hill run Immediately into 12 unbroken ring muscle ups and then rest three minutes between. I was basically walking back down the hill. So those were two very similar workouts in terms of structure. Like you can see they're both four sets. They both have something that gets the athlete tired and then a uh, uh, challenging sets of whatever gymnastics quality that you're trying to challenge. So these don't have to be big, long, you know, complicated sessions. That can be something that's very simple. Like, Hey, if you're struggling with, you know, holding bigger sets under fatigue, like hey, let's just challenge that quality and then progress it week over week. Now fatigue-based sessions. So again, this is systemic fatigue. So we're trying to get the athlete's heart rate and breathing um, up and elevated for an extended period of time as they're doing their gymnastics work. So our first fatigue-based session comes from Gymnastics Density University for time. And so it's going to be 14, 14, 12, 12, 10, 10. So three rounds, but it's descending in that way. Chestabar bar, and box jump overs. You'll rest one-to-one. So if it took you four minutes, you'll rest exactly four minutes. And then it's four time. Again, 14, 14, 12, 12, 10, 10. Again, of bar, but now burpee to a six inch target. Rest one-to-one and then four time. Again, 14, 14, 12, 12, 10, 10. Again, of bar, but now a dumbbell hang clean and jerk. So you can see this is obviously challenging an athlete in terms of their fatigue systemically, but it's also something that mimics the sport very closely as well. So this is something that would be great as you prep for um, competition, as you get a little bit closer to um, your competitive season, something like that would be very appropriate. Our second fatigue-based session comes from Bart, who is one of my one-on-one clients. It was eight sets of a 21-calorie air bike immediately into 10 to 12 unbroken chest to bars you rest to eight out of 10 recovery between those sets. And for the air bike, it had to be from zero to seven calories. It was 300 watts from eight to 14 calories was 400 watts. And from 15 to 21 calories was 500 plus watts. So make sure you're holding over 500. So it's basically a ramping air bike into a set of unbroken chest bars to challenge that pattern as it's under fatigue. So I know I threw a lot at you today. Please do not get paralysis by analysis. Um, I want this to be something that is actionable. So I would encourage everyone listening to go through three steps um, following this podcast. Number one is to choose a specific gymnastics movement, one that you find particularly challenging. And then two, specify a quality of that movement that you would really like to improve the most, be it density, chunking, uh, volume tolerance, fatigue resistance, Um, or you can just hire a coach to do it, But, but, anyway, um, and then three is to construct workouts, um, that challenge that specific quality in a progressively more challenging and challenging way. So just create a basic progression of things that you can actually challenge that specific quality of the movement that is challenging for you. And ultimately that is how you build your gymnastics density capacity. Hey, it's Ben again. Thanks for listening today. To be completely honest, it's been really rewarding to have people who listen to the show regularly reach out to me, whether they have a question about training or just to say, Hey, so if you haven't done that yet, do it. I'm pretty good about getting back to people. And you can feel free to email me Ben at or message me on Instagram at sorefitness. And graciously, I've had some people reach out to me and ask how they can support the show number one way that you can support the show if you are a regular listener is just by rating the show most apps have a platform where you can actually rate it and on apple podcasts you can write a review as well this is super helpful in having other coaches and athletes find the podcast but also just having it grow and for me to continue to want to put out more and more content also i'm going to be posting more full episodes of the fitness coaching to our youtube channel So if you're someone who actually enjoys seeing my face when I talk, you can head over to YouTube and subscribe if you please. And if you're someone who is watching on YouTube, you have the ability to like our videos, but then you can also comment on the video if you have questions about the episode or if you want to suggest a topic for a future episode. And lastly, if you're someone who really does value what we're putting out, I would encourage you to hire a coach. For me, coaching is the bulk of my job, and it's what I believe I do best. So if you're an athlete or a coach looking to up your fitness game, be sure to reach out. You can message me on Instagram at Zwerf Fitness or email me then at ZwarFitness.com. Thanks again for listening today. And as always, stay the course.